They're sitting out in the vestibule. So we get one of those. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the, the time that you've given us to be able to come and worship you, sing songs of praise to you. Most of all, Father, partake of your supper. We know, Father, that that communion represents the death, burial, and most of all, the resurrection of your son. We're thankful, Father, for those emblems and We know, Father, that you love us and you will keep us. We pray, Father, as we start this hour that our songs of praise will be pleasing to you and our hearts and our minds will be focused solely on you. Once again, Father, thank you for everything that we have. We know, Father, we're just stewards. And we pray, Father, that through these trying times that your light shines through our lives. That we can be more like Paul and be all things to all people. We can show compassion and love to one another and to our community. Watch over us and guide us. And we pray this prayer in your son's name. Amen. Father, we love you, we worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Glorify thy name, glorify thy name, glorify thy name.
desire and I long to worship I want you more than gold or silver, only you can satisfy. You alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye. You alone are my strength, my shield, to you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Been longing for months, haven't we? Done a good job with the video and thing, but nothing quite like being together. It's good to be here. Bethlehem, Galilee, Gethsemane, the tomb. This little one-line song takes us right through what Jesus came to do, and that was to die for you and me and forgive us. Bethlehem, he was born there, I believe, I believe, Galilee, walk there, I believe, I believe, privilege it is to gather together to see your smiling faces. I know we've all looked forward to this day and we look forward to the day that things are back to normal. But what a great step forward today and to be in your presence is uh, truly a blessing. We know that the church gathered together on the first day of the week to break bread it was important, it was significant. It was one of the last things that our Savior did upon this earth to teach his disciples how to remember him until the day that he returns. 
I asked him to lead the song this morning about Gethsemane, the garden. Literally translated, it's the garden of the olive press. Gethsemane, the garden of the olive press. It's a quiet place. It's removed from the bustle of the city. Shaded in the heat of day. And incredibly peaceful at night. Jesus often went there. To, to be alone and to pray. It's to Gethsemane that he led his disciples on that fateful night. Reading in Matthew chapter 26, Then come Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell down on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus knows his fate. He knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows he's to be mocked. He knows he's to be scourged. And he knows he will be crucified. Yet he prays, Nevertheless, not I will, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He asked his disciples to watch. As disciples, he asks us to watch, to remember him by communing about the table until he comes again. As we partake of the bread this morning that represents his body, shall we bow together. Our Heavenly Father, you've given us by example this communion, this communion with you. And that by breaking this bread together, Father, that we might remember that your body was broken, was nailed to that cross. It was given that we might live, that there might be an avenue to reconcile us back to the Father. Jesus, you became the lamb. We're so grateful, Lord, that you've sent your son. As we partake of this bread, may we remember him until he comes again. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Shall we bow again? Our Heavenly Father, you've blessed us with the opportunity to come together about this table and to share this cup, this fruit of the vine that represents the blood of your Son. Lord, you, in your mercy and your grace, have sent your Son to be that perfect sacrifice for us. As we partake of this emblem, Father, it reminds us of the blood, the blood that is able to take away sin. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we approach your throne and ask that you would bless this cup and bless each member this morning as we remember the death of your son, Jesus. For it's in his blessed name that we ask these blessings. Amen. There's a point in our normal service where we pass the tray and allow you to make your contribution to the Lord's work. We won't be passing a tray this morning. Instead, you'll find a container at the back of the auditorium. If you'd like to drop your, uh, your giving there, that would be just fine. Also, if you'd like to contribute uh, using the online service, that's just fine too. Whatever works for you is fine will not pass a tray so that we don't have to handle things in each other's presence until this virus passes. So let's go together now and let's ask Father to, uh, to bless the offering. Our God and our Father, we thank you. You've blessed us in so many ways. You've blessed us with the opportunity to come together this morning. Thank you, Father, for providing our daily needs Thank you for providing everything that we need here in this life, but thank you mostly for providing your son, Jesus. As we give this morning, Father, we remember that the work of the church is to spread the gospel, to share with others, to care for the widows and the orphans, and to care for the poor. We pray, Father, that as your children this morning, as your disciples, as we give, that you would bless those works of the church that these funds might find a useful service in your kingdom. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for the life that he lived and the example he gave us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you're at home using the book, this is number 424. <clears throat> Gracious Spirit, dwell with me. I myself would gracious be. And with words that help and heal, would thy life in mine reveal. And with actions bold and meek, would for 
Christ my Savior speak. Truthful spirit dwell with me, I myself would truthful be. And with wisdom kind and clear, let thy life in mine appear. And with actions brotherly, speak my Lord's sincerity. And Holy Spirit dwell with me, I myself would holy Separate from sin I would Choose and cherish all things good And whatever I can be Give to him who gave me Tim, this is the time that I get up and speak, right? <laughs> Out of the routine. Janine and I had a job in which we worked together several years ago. We would get three days off a month. And it was our routine that on those days off, we would typically drive somewhere. And the understood rule was when we get to a certain point, we no longer talk about work. Sometimes it was going north, we'd be on I-94, and sometimes south when we get to a town called Wheatfield. Wherever it was, when we reached that spot, we no longer talked about it. I say that to say this, I certainly am glad to be here. And I thought the first Sunday when I got back, I would just be doing cartwheels, and I remembered my age. So, <laughs> but, so I would say that words like Normal and isolation, those will go away. One day we'll look back on this and, and reminisce and, and understand perhaps what the truer meaning of gathering together is. And this all becomes worked out. Pardon my vanity here, but my first day back I thought, I'm just going to get a selfie to say I actually was here with the group. Pardon that. I usually have this sign in my, on my desk. Sometimes Meredith tries to hide it, but I always find it. It says, begin worrying, details to follow. I'm going to put that one away, because I'm not going to worry about this anymore. If you have your Bible, you can be turning to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. But before we do, I'd just like to describe a couple of situations a man is getting ready to board an airplane, which he is going to travel a great distance, which is typical for airliners. And at the last moment, he has a feeling within him, and perhaps even a voice inside that says, don't get on that airplane. And he doesn't. And goes home and sees on the news that that airplane crashed on takeoff. There is a man who is on the operating table and a major surgery. And during that surgery, 
his heart stops. And he believes that he is above that table and looks down and sees his own life and can strive everything in great detail, even though he is unconscious. He sees everything. And there is a woman who is traveling down the street and hears a voice in the back of her mind that says, go meet that person. And that person that she meets needs help and she's able to provide it. And I'd like to tell you in all certainty right now, I have no idea how those things work. I don't. I have no idea how some occurrences in this world happen. And might I add, no one really understands it. But we're not here to talk about things that we can speculate on and, and not understand. We're here to talk about things in the Word of God that we can understand. And to that extent, that's what this class is about. If you picked up a theme at all in Tim's song leading today, which I might add, I am just so glad to have a song leader here and to hear voices. It is just absolutely wonderful. But I digress. The theme that you saw weaving its way through there ever so gently, you saw the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And I work with Tim, or Tim works with me, each week as we put together songs that will match the sermon topic. And today's topic is the Holy Spirit. For the last several weeks, if you noticed, the topic was talking about Jesus, who he was, who he was in eternity. This week, ever so briefly, and we're only going to cover just a, just, boy, just a sliver of what it is about the Holy Spirit. Because in the following weeks, as the Holy Spirit becomes more prominent in the book of Acts, in the book of Romans, in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Revelation, we'll talk more about it. But for now, this is simply an introductory, and it's certainly by no means all there is to know about the Holy Spirit. But you're in John chapter 14, if you'd like to read along with me, beginning in verse 15. And I look at the clock and think, I have all the time in the world, because the class that would typically follow this is Donato's, it would start at 10 after 11, is going to be at 6 o'clock tonight, and you should have received an email telling you how to access that. If you didn't, let us know. We'll try to get that number to you. But his class, instead of following this, so I have all the time in the world. I'm waiting for the first one to say amen. <laughs> no, this will not drag on and on. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer the world will see me because, the Lord will see me, pardon me, no more, but you will see me because I live, you live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And while this is 
the focus right now, we are going to be in chapter 14, 15, and 16, because in these three chapters, Jesus describes to the disciples, the apostles really, that he is going to be leaving soon. If you've been following the class on Wednesday night, you understand that uh, I've talked about the fact that from John chapter 8 on, it's really about the last part of Jesus' life, his last few weeks. And now, as we come to verses 14 on, we're in the last days of his life. And Jesus described, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. They're not really fully comprehending it just yet, what is going to happen. But he's letting them know that he is going to leave. But if he leaves, he's going to leave them a comforter or a helper, as some of your versions may say. But it's really the Holy Spirit. And it's important to know the, the ABCs, as I often talk about in interpreting Scripture. What has come above, what comes below that passage, and what is the context of the passage? So lest we think that Jesus is talking directly to you and you and you in this context, he's talking to the apostles. So if we understand that he is talking directly to them, we'll understand a little better what he means when he's talking in chapters 14, 15, and 16. So... We, we wonder about those spiritual connections and how the Holy Spirit works. But it's good to understand who this Holy Spirit is. Because there are some people and organizations and leaders within the Christendom and the religious world that think that the Holy Spirit is really just another, it's really talking about God. And there's only one within, there's not, not the triune or some people call it the trinity or the Godhead. It's really only God and Jesus was created and the Holy Spirit is really God as he moves or something uh, to the effect that the Holy Spirit is just like a magnetic force or a force of some sort. But I think we delve into the Bible, we'll find that God is very clear about describing that part of the Godhead. Who? is the Holy Spirit. Not what is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as we'll discover. When did we first come in contact with the Holy Spirit? Why, it's right in the very beginning. If you'd like to turn and follow in Genesis chapter 1. Verses that you probably can recite forward and backwards. I can only do it forward, but you probably can do it backwards. Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sometimes we stop there. But listen to what verse 2 says. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God. And because in most versions, if not all versions, that S is capitalized. So we understand that it's, it's not just a moving force. It is a, it is a who. And this is the first time that we read about the Holy Spirit. And that's a good place to start. Right there in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. And really, if we know our scriptures, we go back to the beginning of John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. So here we have, who eventually will become the Christ, is right there in the beginning. Because it tells us that all things that were created were created by Christ. So we have that force there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've dropped down a little further than that. I won't read it, but it says, and God said, we talked about that several times last week in the sermon, and God said, 
Because that's the word. For every word that we have, we have something that's in our mind as an object. And without that object, we really don't need a word for it as far as we look at, at nouns and such. But the word spoke things into existence. And how the, what Daniel describes as the ancients of days and the word and the Holy Spirit, which was really that, that Godhead in the beginning... How they communicated, I, I like Chuck talks about, by the way, this is Chuck Anderson, you may remember him. Let me back up just a little bit. This room has been transformed from a recording studio this week back into a worship area. For this week, uh, in spite of all things that were going on, we moved forward with the Bring Teach Keep program and we were taping the Bible timeline, so that it's now it's available to the entire world at their command, whenever they want it. But Chuck, I digress a little bit, but Chuck talks about, you know, describing that, uh, that Godhead, uh, how, how we describe it, that, that in the beginning was God, and, and we, we'd say, well, I, I picture this as God, but the scriptures describe it, and tells us, right there in the beginning is the Godhead, in Genesis 1.1. The next time that we find the Spirit, see, the term Holy Spirit, technically, only, occur, only occurs three times in the Old Testament. But the Holy Spirit is throughout the Old Testament, as we'll see. And I could go on with many, many verses, but I have just a few that will give us an example. The next time we find the Holy Spirit mentioned in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 6. We find that the world is being described in, in all of its, its violence, that, that every thought, every intent of the mind was evil continually. And God said in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, then the Lord said, my spirit, and again it's capitalized, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. My spirit, my Holy Spirit, so up to this point, which is hundreds of years after creation, God's spirit was roaming up. He says, my spirit's not always going to be with him. And if you were just to do a word search in a good concordance, Young's analytical concordance or Strong's, you might be able to see the difference between when it talks about the regular spirit, like we say, boy, he sure does have a bad spirit about himself. That'd be a small S. But when you see that capital S in the Old Testament, look closely and see the Hebrew word typically will be the same, but whether it's capitalized. Look at the context of what it is being talked about. So that was the second time it's being talked about. An interesting part of the, uh, one of the times, one of the three times it's used as the Holy Spirit is found in Psalm 51, verse 11, that, that famous psalm about David and his affair with Bathsheba. Psalm 51, 11 says, Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. The other two times are mentioned in Isaiah chapter 63, verses 10 and 11. The only three times that the term Holy Spirit are used in the Old Testament. But the Spirit is found many times, and we're able to identify it. So as we look at the... Because sometimes we get the idea, as, as we looked last week and talked about it, that Jesus really didn't occur on the scene until he was born. But we have seen that many times that pre-incarnate Christ occurs. And many times it's called the angel of the Lord. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit is found throughout the Old Testament. So as we know that triune God is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit occurs in the New Testament, 
those three parts of the Godhead are found throughout the Old Testament. In the Exodus chapter 31, Moses is, has received the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. And now they're getting ready to build the tabernacle and all of the, uh, all of the furniture that goes within it. But God has in mind that he's going to have one person who is going to really be the leader of it. It's not Moses and it's not Aaron. But listen to what he says in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hurai, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and carving of wood, to work in every craft, and it continues on. But he says, I have given this man a special gift of the Holy Spirit to guide him. Now, I suppose he could have taken like the stones that he gave to Moses and carved out and said, this is what I want it to look like. He said, no, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to help you with the design of this. And from there, he had another one who's going to work in conjunction with him. But then those would be, uh, they would give the instruction. But he says, I'm going to give him the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to help him along. They just keep getting more and more interesting. In the book of Numbers, chapter 11, very interesting. Moses, Moses is just absolutely overwhelmed with the responsibilities that God has given him. Over and over, Israel keeps grumbling. And Moses, he's just, he's had it. And he asks God for help. Numbers, chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the Spirit, capital S, that was on him and put it into the 70 elders. And as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other was Medad. And the Spirit, capital S again, rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. So they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran to Moses. Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, assistant of Moses, from his youth said, May the Lord Moses stop them. And here's the most interesting part to me. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. What a thing for Moses. I wish that God would put his Holy Spirit in everyone. But in the limited way, God said, originally he put that spirit into Moses. But Moses asked for help. So Moses brings in those 70 elders, and God takes from the Holy Spirit. You can only imagine how much of that Holy Spirit Moses had. He said, took it from them, him, and gave it to them. And Joshua becomes jealous. Oh, that everyone would have the Spirit of the Lord. We find that in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and we'll be winding these examples down, but they, they are, we really need these to lay that foundation so we begin to understand what God has used the Holy Spirit in the past. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, we're going to talk about David. This is really the end of the second Samuel and then comes first Kings. He says, now these are the last words of David, 
the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high and anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. We've heard him called this before. He said, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me his word on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over man, ruling in the fear of God. So David understands that this Holy Spirit has been given to him. So David writes not only this part, but all the psalms that David wrote. When we read of, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or my God, my God, why have you? We know that David, by the Holy Spirit, these same words that David pens, were the words that Jesus would remind his disciples of in Luke chapter 24 when he says, when he reminds of those things that were written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, all those things that the Holy Spirit instilled in men to write. And David recognizes it and says it right here. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. Now we come to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. This is where we're going to end in the Old Testament of talking about, for now, for the, for the Holy Spirit. And this is really a jumping-off point that leads us to where Jesus is talking in the Gospel of John. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, listen to what the prophecy of Isaiah tells about Jesus. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. He's talking about the lineage of Jesse. A branch, and from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide the equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. And here it is, as he talks about that, that root, that branch that is going to come, he's talking about Jesus. And we can make a, draw a direct line, if you were able to, from that verse down to John chapter 1. You'd like to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, as we finish laying that foundation. And we could add many, many more verses, but these are enough to give us an idea of how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. But now, Isaiah chapter 11 describes not only Jesus, but Jesus' work with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 29, the he in the next day he saw is talking about John the Baptist. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for, his, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That direct passage that, that leads us from Isaiah chapter 11 down to John chapter 1. So we've established the, the Holy Spirit 
And we'll look at who is the Holy Spirit. Not what is the Holy Spirit. And we've, we've done a little bit of that in this, this. But now we look at, if we were to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. It's a very, very short passage. And it's, and it's sort of sandwiched into all of those commands that, that Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. And that last chapter of the 1 Thessalonians, as we know that letter as, uh, is just jam-packed with all of these little commands. And it tells us in verse 19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And within the context of, of everything that's being talked about, it, it sort of stands alone and says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit is some sort of magnetic force uh, or something like gravity, we would think, well, how am I going to quench some sort of magnetic forces as some people have described it in the world? Well, you can't. You're quenching someone. Don't quench the Spirit. But wait, there's more. Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to rapid fire through these. We're going to look at a couple of verses in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's start with verse 25. Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, and I'm going to read several verses because it, it lends to the context of what Paul is trying to, uh, to tell them about the Holy Spirit. It says, therefore, beginning verse 25, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk from, come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That's a good list, much like the list that we would have found in First Thessalonians. But it's the next verse that puts us into context. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So he says of all these things, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. But wait, there's more. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, as Stephen is, is lecturing the leaders of Israel, and, and Acts chapter 7 is the longest chapter in the book of Acts, you may have that on a trivia question one time, so I'll just tell you that. It's the longest chapter in the book of Acts. And it's long because this entire chapter is given to this lecture that Stephen is giving to the, to the leaders. And as he comes down to the end, you, you can just sort of feel him getting, he's hot under the collar about all this that's going on as he, as he tells them the history that they would have known. All the things that go on. And he says, you stiff-necked people. Now, obviously this is not one of those ways of winning friends and influencing people here. But he understands who he's dealing with. He says, and do not, uh, pardon me, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So we have seen that the Holy Spirit can be quenched, it can be grieved, as we found in, in Ephesians, it can be resisted, but look at Acts chapter 5. Back up just a couple of verses in the book of Acts. These will all lend itself to us having a greater understanding within this context of the Holy Spirit being a who, not a what. 
In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira have conspired, husband and wife, to, to hold back. It was within their power to hold back whatever they were going to give. But they decided they were going to deceive these people as to how much they were going to give. And uh, Peter, understanding this because of the gift that he has, he says, but Peter said in verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And when Ananias has passed away, his wife Sapphira comes in. Drop down to verse 9. But Peter said to, it, said to her, How is it that you have agreed together with her husband to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. So we see that the Holy Spirit can be quenched. It can be grieved. It can be resisted. It can be lied to. And it can be tested. So this Holy Spirit is a who. If this is just a force, how do, you, how do you lie? Am I going to lie to this wall? No, you have to lie to a person, as it were. And I use that term person as, as in the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, obviously not flesh and blood, but it is a part of the Godhead. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He's going to talk about Jesus here. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So that Godhead that, that Jesus is a part of, we may... I'm going to hesitate to say mistakenly, but the word that we use is, is Trinity. The word Trinity is not found within Scripture. But the word Godhead is. And it says, in Christ dwells all of the Godhead bodily. Luke chapter 3 and verse 22. We find the, a mention of the Godhead all together. Luke chapter 3 and verse 22. And this is really the, the same instance of which John refers to in John chapter 1. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice calls from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. All three of the Godhead are represented in this verse. And there are many other verses within the New Testament that recognizes them as being all three together. The Holy Spirit descended, and the Father says from heaven, This is my Son, talking of Jesus, all three of them together. So we have, we have laid that groundwork and understand that the Holy Spirit is found not just in the New Testament, but it's found in the Old Testament. And we have seen that the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. In John chapter 14, as, as we read to this, in, in these verses, as Jesus is getting ready to leave, and, and for sure the the apostles do not understand what's going on, but Jesus, in the best way that he can, is explaining to them about how he and the Father are one. And in John chapter 14, if you turn back there, we begin in verse 6. Listen to what Jesus has to say. We start a little bit further down before, but in verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. We read about this, as Jesus says, he is the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. 
Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And I can just picture that perhaps you, and I know I would, have asked that same question. Jesus, once and for all, show us the Father. It's like one of those things that I, I just want to just show it to me. I, I ask the same things in, in math class. Not to put math class and seeing God at the same level, but you know, when they give me a problem in there, just show me the answer. Just show me the answer. Just cut right to the answer. This is not even how you work the answer. But Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient. It's enough. If I just see that, I'll, it'll all make sense to me. And Jesus said to him, Have I not, or have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. So Jesus is saying, these words didn't come from me, even though he's the word. When Jesus spoke those words and said, let there be light, where did he get that? He got it from, as Daniel called it, the Ancient of Days. But that's how... The triune God, the Godhead, works together in ways that I can't understand why this part of the Godhead does this and that part of the Godhead does that. And the conversation that we can only picture is having, I've heard Chuck describe it, that conversation that occurs before the foundation of the world. And it's not as though they're sitting around a table because tables haven't been invented yet. There's nothing. There's everything, but there's nothing. You see how confusing it gets? But they're, well, they're not sitting. But, but anyways, they're having a conversation. No, not having a conversation. But they're deciding who's going to be what. But they all work so well together that the thought of creation comes through the Word and the Word speaks it into it. And in a sense, the Holy Spirit, as we has been suggested by some scholars, is what gives order to the universe. We go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters of the earth. I can't understand it. But I know that they were all working in conjunction. And that's what Jesus says. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. These are words that Jesus got from the Father. And Jesus is showing them of how you cannot separate the Father from the Son. I do nothing on my own. And as he goes through chapter 14, 15, and 16, and explains it to them, and they're scratching their head and thinking, and, and you can picture them if you're in the back of the room and you're thinking, do you know what he's, do you understand what he's saying? I often had that same experience in many of my classes. Do you know what the teacher's talking about? They don't. And it's going to be evident when we get to the end when he says, you don't understand these things now, but you will. Why? Well, you have to pay attention because I don't want to tell you. So we have this in, in chapter 14. And we continue down towards the end of the chapter in verses 25 and 26. He's going to explain to them. He says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, and he identifies who this Helper is, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now, at the end of the chapter, end of the Gospel of John, pardon me, John is going to relate of how many things that Jesus has spoken and how, I'm going to use a 50-cent word, how voluminous, voluminous, how big, how many of those words were. Could the world, world hold all the things that he spoke? 
He says, these are written that you may believe. But he brings remembrance. And we wonder, how, how did the disciples decide? How did Matthew decide the things to keep in there and not keep in his gospel? And how did Mark decide the things were important? And how did Luke decide? How did John decide? Well, the Holy Spirit. We think, well, why didn't they write more? Why didn't we have a 20-volume set of all the things that Jesus said? And John explains it. But these are written so that you might believe. And for those who aren't going to believe, you can't write enough to make them believe. And for those who want to believe, it is sufficient. It is sufficient for it. So we pass on to John chapter 15. And again, Jesus talks about this helper, this paracadito, that which comes alongside to help. John chapter 15 and verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father. There we go. We have all of the Godhead right there in one verse again. The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify to me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You won't remember all of these things, but the Holy Spirit is going to help you remember all of these things. And I call these little breadcrumbs that are dropped along the way. Because within, especially within the Gospel of John, it, it will tell us the disciples didn't understand it then, but after he arose, they understood it because the Holy Spirit helped them. They didn't realize how significant sometimes those things were that Jesus was doing and might have, if it were left to their own way of thinking, might not have included it. But the Holy Spirit said, no, this is pretty important. You may not understand it completely, and you and I might not understand it today completely, but they are all there for a reason. When you, here's my little plug for genealogies again. The genealogies are there for a reason, and there's, there's information in there if we're willing to dig in there and find it. It's all there for a reason. Nothing has been left out. That, that woman who gave two mites was there for a reason. The woman who anointed Jesus' feet was there for a reason. All of these things have been put there for a reason, and the Holy Spirit helped them to remember this. We pass into John chapter 16. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin, because they do not believe me, of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So we see that, the, that Jesus must go away before he can send the Holy Spirit to them. And all of verses, chapters 14, 15, and 16 tell about the, how unified Jesus and the Father are and how unified the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit are going to work together to help the disciples. And those chapters, talking about how the Holy Spirit is going to be given to them, is written to them in a very special way so that they would have remembrance. When he talks about they are going to be witnesses of this, and he tells them, don't worry about the things that you're going to say because you will be given those words in that day. And how I wish that that were true for me today. 
that I would just be able to sit down there and say, I'm just going to kind of cruise through the week, and somewhere between the time that I get up from that chair or that chair, wherever I'm at, that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to me, and it'll bring to remembrance. And I've heard people say that they make up a sermon between the time they stand up and get here. And believe you me, sometimes it sounds like it. Oh, that was my outside voice, wasn't it? But we are not given that. But we are given the Word of God so that we may study to show ourselves approved. So in a sense, this has been given to us so that when someone asks us, as Peter says, for that hope that lies within us, right there it is. Have you studied it? Are you prepared when people say, why is it you guys have taken time out instead of going boating on Sunday? Do you gather together? Why is it that you don't get worried about things that are happening? In the, I could go on and on, but I digress. And finally, from John chapter 16, Jesus tells the apostles, beginning in verse 12, really continue on from the last uh, verses, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I, I, I can grasp that. You, you can't bear the things that I have to tell you. And sometimes I feel that way in myself, that there are certain things that I read that I can't bear them in my maturity. However, when he, now this is very important, ten pronouns are used in the span of these four verses. However, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you all things that the Father has in mind. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. That's a pretty specific pronoun, isn't it? If he had meant that the Holy Spirit was not a personage, he would have said it, wouldn't he? But he says he will do this for you. When does this happen? If you'll turn to John chapter 20, verses 21 through 22. Sometimes we, we get this confused with Acts chapter 1 and 2. But when Jesus says he's going to send them the Holy Spirit, John chapter 20 and verse 21 Begins, so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, and Jesus has already been resurrected. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And from then on, they were able to recall. And sometimes I wonder when they get to Acts chapter 1 and said, Jesus, is it this time you're going to establish the kingdom? They still didn't understand some of those things. And when they began to to bring the, the Gentiles in, they still didn't quite understand, but they had a recollection of the words that Jesus taught them. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 21, as we bring this to a close in the next two hours. Peter says, who was one of those who Jesus breathed on, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, talking about those things of the Old Testament, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts, knowing first that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, 
For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Consistent with what David said in the Old Testament, consistent with what we have found throughout the Old and New Testament, that the Holy Spirit was there to guide them along the way. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. All Scripture, all Scripture, and remember that Peter identifies the things that Paul wrote as Scripture. So, not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Okay, we understand it comes from God, but how? It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness. The man of God may complete, be, be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out. That's the English Standard Version. The one I read before was New King James Version, which says all Scripture is given by inspiration. The English Standard got it right. Writer. More writer. Did I get that right, Wilma? Got it close to the original Greek. All Scripture is breathed out by God. The same way that Jesus breathed on them is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness. That's really the same term that we read from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. That same effect. When God wanted his holy men to have his word, he breathed it out to them. And this is the word that we have with us today. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 4, 1 through 4 says, Long ago, and at many times and in many ways, I like the really the King James when it says, in various and sundry times. It's just such flower language, but it's, it really means long ago, at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Well, wait a minute, I thought you said he talked by the Holy Spirit. Father gives the words to the Son. The Son says to the Holy Spirit, these are the words that I want you to have. All working in unison in a way that we cannot comprehend. We put two people together, we're always going to have two opinions. You put 50 people, well, no, it's not, go there. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, to whom he created the world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 10, he says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. I suggest to you the perfect has come. The complete word of God, which we are told, is able to save men. Those instances that I talked about earlier, how a person hears that voice that tells them, don't get on that plane. How a person sees when they're under anesthesia, we can't answer those things. But I'll tell you what we can answer and what we know is that the word of God that the Holy Spirit inspired to be recorded is sufficient for our salvation. Everything that we need. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Ephesians 1, 3. I made reference to this passage in John chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I realize that I have not done justice to the Holy Spirit. And I've only whetted your appetite to want to learn more about the Holy Spirit. But the things that we have seen is to understand that the Holy Spirit has worked throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Holy Spirit still works today. Because the Holy Spirit who gave us the word, that word sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide bone and marrow. When it said that the Holy Spirit would judge, we think about grieving the Holy Spirit. And to hear from the Word of God how Jesus Christ, who from before the foundation of the world, decided that He would come down in the flesh, live a life sinless, and be given up and die on the cross, buried and rose again, may seem as foolishness to some people. And by not believing, they really grieve the Holy Spirit. They reject the Word of God. We think about how one blasphemes the Holy Spirit is to hear, what must I do to be saved? And being told and saying, no, that's not for me. You've grieved the Holy Spirit. You've rebuffed the Holy Spirit. You've said, I don't believe it. And be, Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and the disciples say, in no other name has there been given which man must be saved. And deciding that I can be saved on my own, or I can be saved another way, you have rejected the Holy Spirit. You have rejected the Word of God to work in your life. But work in your life, it can. If you're willing to accept. We extend that invitation each time that we gather together, knowing that the Word of God is able to change hearts in ways that I can't do. As flowery and elegant as I could ever hope to be, it's not enough for my words to change you. It is the Word of God that will change you if you're willing to accept and believe that Jesus Christ did come to pay that price for us. And confessing that He is Lord of our lives, repenting and saying, I'm no longer going to follow that path, but I'm going to turn 180 degrees and turn towards the Lord. And that the Word of God will help me in that respect. But I must obey His Word when it says, Repent and be baptized and wash away your sins. That act that puts us into Christ. And you can reject that or accept it. And if you have not accepted, consider it. Don't turn away. Consider what the Word of God says. That it may change your life. You may be here today struggling with something in your life. We stand here in every way that we can to help you through these times of trials. Whatever your need is, make it known. Together we stand and sing. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still, have thine own
for that message. It's again so glad to see everybody that was able to come out today. Glad for everyone that was still able to join us online. Uh, a couple announcements. Uh, again, just continue to check your email. Um, as Matthew mentioned, Donato's class is tonight at 6, just as a dial-in, and also the Wednesday night class will still be going on as well. And so with that, um, let's close out with prayer. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for your love and watch care over us. We're thankful that we're able to gather, be able to sing and worship, be able to commune around the table, be able to hear your word preached to us. I just pray that you would help us to be able to take the words that we heard today, be able to apply it to our lives, be able to share with others. We just thankful for the leadership that we have here at this congregation. Pray that you continue to watch over them, help them to continue to make good decisions and be able to uh, lead us and shepherd us here uh, as best as they can under these current situations. Uh, I just pray that you would uh, be with this nation. Pray that you would pray for your healing hand physically and spiritually. Just pray that you would uh, continue to be with us and, and keep us safe as we uh, leave and go to our homes and just be with us throughout this week and help us to always put you first and be able to share, your, share you with others as uh, we come across uh, those that are in need if you tear your coming. We just praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.